Barukata Donai, Eloheinu Menekaolam, Asher Bakar bin Vim Tovim, Veratza, Ve Divrehem ha Ne Emarim, Beemet, Baruk Ata Adonai, Haboker Batora, U Moshe Avdo, U Israel Amo, U Vin Vie ha Emet, Bazerek, Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen, ve Amen. Amen. Adonai, may you illuminate us with your living Torah, because all of the words of the prophets are Mashiach's essence. So may it be so. Amen. Amen. I love that. The words of the prophets are Mashiach's essence. Man. Hey, you started that last week when you were dropping all those bombs on the Haftarah, so I didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. All right, so welcome everyone to the Haftar Get You Some with Shomer Man and Chasis Boz blowing it up. Uh, we are in Parsha Vaera this week. So what we got? All right. Well, it's interesting because we've been doing Yeshiyahu for what well, seems like forever. But it's been great, but it, it's also exciting to kind of go into a new new section of the of uh, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and so. I figured we we would start off with just a little bit about our characters, since we can go back to doing that now. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to start off at Avadia, and then go into uh, Havachuk. And you may be thinking, Chaziz, showman, what are y'all doing? These guys, they aren't in the half-tour portion. Okay, did you read it? Are you in a different book? The answer is no. Mm, I'm, starting, I'm starting with these guys because they are actually uh, the characters within the book that are not mentioned. Oh. Their name is concealed, and I figured we'd give them a great honor. Um, uh, because the tour does not mention them. So, uh, do you, you know what you just said? You you oh. just basically called both of them the Aleph Tav because commentary on the Aleph Tav says this is someone who is there but not mentioned. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's incredible. So, anyways, oh my gosh. <laughs> And and so you know even even those these guys that's incredible all the time even though these uh these these great prophets aren't mentioned they're actually like key players within the stories themselves. Hmm. So let's go ahead and, and bring out like you said these these all times it's kind of it's kind of funny too because the story ta- starts with one one part of the story you know with someone hidden and the then you have another person hidden, if you will, in the, the second story. Mm. So, there's your, your Olive and then your Tav. Wow. <laughs> Alright, so we have Ovadia, or Obadiah, the English Greekified version. Wow. Said, Elijah, Eliyahu, had four Tamadim, Micah, Yonah, Ovadia, and Alicia, it's from Pirkei the Rabbi Hakadosh. So 
Eliyahu had four four disciples, Micah, Yonah, Ovadia, and Elisha. So a lot of us just think of, hey, Elijah, Elisha, he's the, the, the Talmudim of Eliyahu, but also Ovadia was one himself. That's crazy. Wow. Yes. And interesting enough, he was a proselyte, according to Yaakov uh, Shmoni. He was a proselyte, and, uh, an Edenite convert, according to Sanhedrin 39b. <laughs> and so a lot of a lot of what he uh prophesied what you read if you go into his book was um Edom and things that would concern that and uh says here from Yaakov Shmini Yov HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Elphaz you rebuked my servant Yov with visions uh Chazun I will therefore bring forth from your descendants a prophet who will announce the punishment of your father's house with visions. As is written, the vision, Chazun of Ovadia, thus said Hashem your God concerning Eden. Mm. Yep. Uh, let's see. He was also, Ovadia was also Ahav's administrator. And we're actually going to find a lot more about him in, in the story time section. All right. But uh, Ahav, he says, this is from Sanhedrin 39b as well. Ahav called Avadya and said to him, Of Yosef it is written, Hashem blessed the Egyptian's house on Yosef's account. This house is not blessed. Perhaps you are not God-fearing. Then a heavenly voice called out, Avadya feared Hashem greatly. So Hashem, you know, put a hub in, in check mode. It says, no, he fears me. You need to be quiet. <laughs> check mode. Wow. I love it. <laughs> says, although Avadya was the administrator of Ahav's house, he did not feed the prophets from Ahav's wealth because he had acquired the estate through thievery. So a little bit about of the righteousness of this man. Like, like he wouldn't even accept money uh, for righteous cause if it was brought about through theft. All right, going to Chavu, which will be the hidden character in our second story. Okay. Chavu says, Yol, Nachum, and Hachavuch all prophesied in the days of Manasseh. But because Manasseh was not righteous, Scripture does not record the fact that, uh, fact in order not to link their names with his. Wow. It goes and says, Why is he called Haba? Um, because he was the son of the Shunite woman who was told at this season, when the time comes around, you will embrace a son. You will embrace. Actually, there are two embraces, one given by his mother and one given by Elisha, as it says, and he placed his mouth upon the child's mouth to resurrect him. Later in the section of Zohar says, Hashem, I heard your report, you and I, I heard the report of you, and I was afraid. I am afraid. This, he said, after experiencing death and resurrection by Elisha. <laughs> That's some uh, incredible CPR right there. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, he also, um, he was also one of the four who spoke harshly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
out of not uh, not uh, just this arrogance and chutzpah kind of deal, but out of his love for Israel. And the other four would have been Yeremiah, uh, Yeremihu, Jeremiah, himself, Habakkuk, David, and Moshe. Wow. Says, uh, he was questioning essentially why do the righteous suffer? And what did he do? He drew a circle, stood within it, and says, I will not budge from here until you tell me, talking to Hashem, why you show patience toward the wicked in this world. God replied, I show them patience in this world in order to give them a chance to repent so that their willful transgressions may be considered as errors. Amen. Wow, that's so, incredible mercy. Yes, yes. And lastly, uh, last thing about Hamuk says 613 precepts were told to Moshe on Sinai. Uh, Chavachuk came and stressed one principle. That is, the righteous man shall live by his faith. <laughs> Which may sound very, very familiar. Yep, just a little bit. All right. Uh, then we go to, we're going to go ahead and head to the uh, main guy of our half Torah. At least the main uh, revealed character, Elisha. Elisha. He was the disciple of Eliyahu. He served Israel for 60 years. Okay. And he was considered a very, very holy man. Uh, he and we're gonna get into a lot, a lot more about him throughout the the tour Porsche, or the half tour Porsche, I should say. Okay. All right. Okay, and setting. This is approximately the year thirty forty three, about seven hundred five before Common Era. Elisha assumed the mantle of prophecy from Eliyahu. That's when he assumed it. And Elisha served the Jewish people as their mentor and protector. And this week's half tour relates to these two miracles he performed. The first one of the widow, widow of Avadja. And the second one is about the Shunammite woman who was incapable of having children. All right. So with the background set up, let's go ahead and get into our half tour Porsche. All right. Are you uh by chance gonna say anything about the Ivrit of Ellie Shaw? Hey, I'll leave that to you if you want to dig into it. Dude. Okay, so Yeshiyahu completely is like Yeshua Yah, right? Like the two Mashiachs. Mm-hmm. But Elisha, dude, it says El Yeshua. <laughs> God is Yeshua. Or Yeshua is God. Um, For real? <laughs> Elisha. According to Strong's number 474, which is the expanded name form of Elisha, 
because Elisha is actually Eli Yeshua. Like Elisha. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So when we call him Elisha, it's his short form, just like we say Yeshua instead of Yehoshua. Oh, just like uh, Yeshia, like Yeshia and Yeshiahu. Come on, right? Okay. Wow. So, so tell me why the Strong's 474 say that Elishua is a son of David. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. <laughs> and uh, just one last thing. The the word itself, Yasha, which is this, this last part of Elishua's mm-hmm. name, it literally means to deliver. So when God wow. is going to deliver. And so, yeah, I just... Uh, I just had to jump in there with that because there's been all this stuff about how can Yeshua be God and how can he be divine? And Well, just look at Elisha for a minute. Look at the son of David for a minute. And... <laughs> That's incredible. Even more so, you know, it talks about Eliyahu being the, the forerunner of, of Mashiach, and he was the main Talmudim of Eliyahu. You know, he's got a, a double portion even yeah. of his spirit. And so that's incredible. And uh, you said Elishua. Uh, would that happen to have like the Vav? Yes, it do. And the name? Yes, Which is the same thing as, as Yeshiyahu. It's just Yeshiyahu with the Vav at the end. Oh. And there's certain instances where uh, Eliyahu has has a has a vav right and he doesn't yeah same thing with elisha mm-hmm. which is all connected to uh to the mashiach because there's certain instances the amount of times that elia has doesn't have the vav is the amount of times that yaakov has the vav in his name and commentary goes according to uh rashi that Yaakov took the Vav from Eliyahu as sort of like, uh, I can't think of the, the word right now, but for the sake of time, I'll just say leverage, you know, that he would bring the Mashiach. Oh, collateral, collateral. Collateral, yes, thank you. So he took it as collateral so that Eliyahu would bring the Mashiach. And what did he take as that? He took the Vav, right? And so if you notice all these people, when you put the Vav their name, there's some aspect with Yeshua. Like you just brought down with El- Eli- Eli- Elisha. So mm-hmm. Elishua and then Eliyahu as well. Uh, not Eliyahu, but uh, Yashiyahu. Y- yes, Yashiyahu. Yashiyahu, yeah. So. It's so crazy that this Greek-English, uh, Greekanized thing calls him Elisha. Yeah. And it's just like, no, it's a guy. It's not a, it's not a- <laughs> Alicia was masculine before it was feminine. <laughs> no, I just want to point that out. Man. All right, so let's go back on track now. I will. Yeah. All right. Well, that was the most excellent swerve. <laughs> well. All right. So let's start off with a. Story time. Story time. Come on. 
All right, over the miracle of the widow's oil pitcher. The, idol- the idolatrous Jewish king, Ahav, married Yezebel, Isabel, daughter of the neighboring king of Z- Zidon. This wicked king- queen encouraged the worship of Baal and Eretz Israel. She mercifully persecuted Shem's prophets. Woe to the prophet who fell into her hands, for he was doomed to certain death. At that time, the administrator of the royal household was a pious and God-fearing man named Ovadiah. Ovadia saved a hundred prophets from the queen's clutches by hiding them in two caves. He assumed personal responsibility for them, sustaining them even through those who those were difficult years of famine. Bread was scarce and water was even harder to obtain, as well as very expensive when available. Ovadia was a rich man who was willing to use his entire fortune to keep the prophets alive. Besides bread and water, he also supplied them with oil for lighting lamps to enable them to study Torah. Ovadia eventually spent all his money on his great mitzvah, on this great mitzvah, and became a poor man. How can I continue to support the prophets in hiding, he asked himself. After giving the matter some thought, Ovadia decided to sell everything of value in his home, even his pots and jars. Finally, he had absolutely nothing left in his home. Ovadia had no choice but to borrow money. The royal family was very rich, so he turned to King Ahab's son, uh, Yoram, begging him for a loan. Yoram was a rasha. He cared nothing for Avadya's mitzvah of saving human lives. He agreed to grant the loan, but only the condition that Avadya pay interest, which is forbidden by the Torah. Uh, at the end of Yeruvam's life, Hashem punished him for this midah kanegad midah, for he was struck in his heart and arms by enemies' arrows because he hardened his heart and stretched out his arms to take illegal, illegal interest. A little side note there. So, Ovadia agreed to Yeruvam's terms since it was a matter of life and death. However, when Yeruvam uh, demanded to repay the loan, Ovadia was able, unable to pay. He became very ill and was not long before he lay on his deathbed. His wife, a great uh, Sadechet, who had heroically sacrificed all her worldly possessions to save the prophets in the two caves, was seized with fear. My husband, she cried out, the debt is not repaid. How will I manage without you? Ovadia consoled her, he who is called the father of orphans and judges of widows, Telim 68.6, will provide for you and our children. Ovadia passed away, leaving his widow so impoverished as there was not a crumb of food in her house. The final blow came when Yeroam knocked on the door and demanded payment. Realizing the widow had no money, he searched her home for valuables but found none. Pointing to the widow's two young sons, he threatened, if you don't repay what you owe, I will take these children as slaves. The distraught woman hurried to the cemetery and called out, You God-fearing one, listen to me. A heavenly voice answered her, Which God-fearing one do you seek? Four people are called God-fearing, Avraham, Yosef, Yov, and Ovadia. I seek Ovadia, she replied. Scattering ashes on her head, she approached her husband's grave, cried out, My master, you promised that Hashem would take care of my orphans. Where is the fulfillment of your promise? Her husband answered her through a heavenly voice that said, Go to the prophet Elisha. He will tell you what to do. The woman came before Elisha and weeping bitter tears poured out her heart to him. How can I help you? Asked Elisha. Yeroam will never listen to me and give up his claim to the money. I will have to do something unusual. Tell me, what do you have in your home? Elisha wanted to bring a blessing to the woman's possessions, but he had to begin with something that she owed. I have nothing to let the value, she replied. My husband sold every last item. All I have is a pitcher containing a little oil. 
Alicia said, oil brings light and happiness to mankind. I know by tradition from my master, Eliyahu, that Hashem's blessing will rest on it. That's where he tells her to go and take all the, the neighboring vessels. And so she borrows all these vessels from the people around her. The woman picked up her oil pitcher and told her sons, keep pouring the empty containers toward me. She poured her son. She, as she poured, the sons placed empty containers before her, one after another. They were filled up. The boys replaced them with more empty containers so the blessings and the oil flow was never interrupted. Eventually, all the vessels were filled, except for some broken ones. He who commanded the empty containers to be broken, uh, Slika, he who commanded the empty containers to become filled can also mend the broken containers. The widow said, her sons gathered the shards, which miraculously became whole containers. They too were filled. Now there were none. Le- now there are none left. All the oil stopped flowing. Wonderful news just reached the family. The price of oil had just risen, and their oil be worth a fortune. The woman returned to Alicia and asked, "Am I obligated to give uh, Maser a tenth of the oil to Alavi? And shall I sell the oil now, or wait till there's even greater increase in the price?" So right on our mind is the obligation is like, do I have? Uh, can I fulfill any my obligation to Torah? Like, what's my obligation to Torah with this? She received this massive fortune. She's like, do I have to give any away? Like, you need not separate Maser from the oil since you acquired it by miracle, the prophet told her. My vice is to sell now. You will then have more than enough money to repay your debt. Moreover, you will have enough money to live on it for the rest of your days. And even all your descendants will have Parnassah forever. So we've seen that the sacrifice of Ayaya and his wife made, this, made to save the hidden prophets was rewarded even in this world. Because Avadya also received the gift of prophecy. He is the famous Avadya, one of the 13 minor prophets. So 13 oh, yeah. minor prophets, and there just so happen to be 13 uh, Igarim, or letters for the English word that. In the uh, Brit Hadashah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's all I can remember after I uh, just <laughs> recovered from being blacked out by the amazing story time. There is so much in that. Oh, my word. Wow. Yes. It's just, just such an such a incredibly beautiful story. Uh, and just the amount of, amount of faith they had. Amount of faith, amount of sacrifice, and just at the end result, as long as you're faithful to Shem, He will He will bless you, and He will bless your generations after you. Oh man, like, that was man. Mm. So a little little background. It kind of adds adds more of the whole dimension to the story. It's not just you know this random story about a woman who has nothing. Uh, like there's this huge background to it. And it's kind of interesting because we mentioned that Avadya was also one of Eliyahu's uh, Talmudim. Right. So, like, what you have here, it's like, you know, you imagine how Elisha was probably tied to it. This is one of his, his uh, like, fellow fellow Torah scholars. This would have been his Havivi. Yeah, his Havivi, his, his brother, you know, his good <laughs> friend. And, you know, he comes there and he, he sees, you know, his his wife in such a struggle. And so... There's there's a whole bunch of a lot more dimension to this than, you know, just like a random woman that he meets and trying to save her and his children. Wow. Man. But yeah. Do you have any anything you'd like to share about this section before we move on to um 
Alicia and the next story of Reviving the Dead. Just thinking about the correlation to this week's Torah portion, you know, uh, everything about the Haftarah that is chosen to go with its corresponding parsha. We talked about it last week, and it's just still just so mind blowing that everything about the Haftarah is in the parsha. And where do we see what we just went through in story time in this week's Torah portion? Well, first of all, we see the Hine Ni concept with when this woman is uh, coming back to Elisha saying, you know, what's my obligation to Torah? You know, can I go ahead and tithe now or do I need to wait? Like, what do I need to do? And this is the concept of Abraham being so ready to do what Hashem says at any given time. And so um, there's just a little commentary from... um, what the rabbis know, or no, sleek out. That's that's my other favorite source. My other favorite <laughs> source is some aspects of rabbinic theology. They go into this section about uh, Torah lishma, which is Torah for its own sake, and the pure essence of Torah and how we should observe it. And they pull down the example of Abraham going off to sacrifice his son for the Akedah. And for the Akedah, Abraham is like, he ain't me, talking to Hashem. And then he's like, take your son, the one you love. And he's like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm waking up early. He goes. And then when Hashem says, don't lay a hand on the boy, Abraham doesn't. And he's doing that with the same level of joy that he did when Hashem said, take your son and sacrifice him. And so uh, if you really look at the dichotomy there, Abraham has the same intensity and readiness and willingness to serve Hashem as it is when it is sacrifice your son, as it is when it's don't sacrifice your son. And it's like the the aspects of rabbinic theology pulled down that when you're Torah Lishma, there is no gradiate no gradation, so to speak, gradation of how you view observing the mitzvot. It's as if the whole Torah is one mitzvah, whether it's tying to feeling or donning to eat or koshering your kitchen or observing the Shabbat or getting circumcised or going into the mikvah. It's all you're doing everything with the same level of readiness and intensity. And we see that with this mother here who is just kind of at her wits end. So anyway. Man, I love that. Like the, that, that intensity, that readiness, you know. Um, like it, it mentioned this in Mershat Yesharim, uh, Path of the Upright. One of, one of the ideas is this idea that translates to alacrity. And it's like what you're saying is the ability to, to push forward and, and have this desire and this rush to, towards the mitzvah. So may we all strive to develop this trait. Help us, sure. help us, help us, please. All right. And so I definitely appreciate those, those gleanings, you know, and like you, you also, you know, you, you see this idea come forth in, in the next the next uh, section, 
if you will. Let it go. All right. <laughs> so this next one, we have this idea, you know, you have Alicia, he's, he's passing through this town and this, this woman notices that, that he is a holy man. You know, she sees this, this glow radiating from her face, from his face. This is a glow that Shekinah radiates from his face. Um, says that no fly ever approaches his food and that his room smells like gone had been. You know, and so she ends up setting up, you know, she talks to her husband. They set up a, a permanent quarters for him within the attic. Right. And so it says, like, after having this Tamin Chachamim as our guest is, is a merit for us. It's like bringing a Tamin offering to a shim. Wow. And so. Wow. Did you, what? Can you please repeat that? Yes. So it says. Having this tamid chacham as our guest is a merit for us. It is like bringing a tamid offering to a shim. Like the hospitality of Abraham to Hashem and Parashava era. Oh my God. Yes. <sighs> but what ended up sticking out to me is like this whole idea of, she says he's this, this, this holy man. Right. And she talks, she mentions some specific things like this glow. She mentions this fly that never approaches him. And it's interesting um, because it, it mentions also in Meshat Yeshrim chapter 26 that Torah scholars who purify themselves and their deeds with holiness are exactly like the Mikdash and the Mizbeach because the Shekinah rests on them exactly like it rested on the temple itself. And so what the Shunammite woman understand understood was that Elisha, the one who you were just saying is like, God is Yeshua, is like the Mikdash himself. He must be on a great spiritual level. Is this and really so happening right now? It's really happening. I mean, you might be you might go straight to Matasyahu six six where Yeshua says, I tell you one greater than the temple is here. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's just so interesting because, you know, they're in that context, it's all about like healing on Shabbat, bringing healing on Shabbat. And, uh, one of our, our fellow Avengers, uh, Dr. Sakhal mentioned that when it mentions on this day, it was talking about Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> and so it was a incredible insight that he was, he was bringing down and like the, let me go to this really quick. Dr. Sakal getting a shout out. Come on. Get a shout out. Let's see. Where... <laughs> and so he says this whole idea. Uh, says the already explains that his purpose, Alicia's perfect, was was likewise to release, release and redeem the souls of Israel from sin. It was on that day, which refers to Rosh Hashanah. When Elisha passed over to Shunim, which is interesting because the idea that it's on like the Sabbath and Rosh Hashanah connection is also said by her husband when she finds out the child is dead mm-hmm. and says, she says, but you usually travel to the Navi only for Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, he, he protested. Oh. Is everything well with you? 
And wow. so you, you go back to this whole idea about Alicia being like the Mizbeach, the Mikdash, Alicia being, you know, God is Yeshua, right? If you read it out. And then you have Yeshua saying, in Matthew 6, 6, one greater than the temple is here. And it's all in the context of, of bringing healing on Shabbat. Because Rosh Hashanah is a Rosh Chodesh. Amen. It's hard to, it's, sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know. You're like, oh, it's Rosh Hashanah, it's Yom Tov. And it's just like, yeah, it's Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. Man, it, it gets interesting. So before we get into the the idea of healing, healing the sun, um, you have in here, um, it talks about, that he's essentially asking her after he's, they're very grateful, him and his, his servant, Ghazi, are very grateful that they have, like, Alicia's had a place to set up for them. And they've been right. such great hosts, providing hospitality, that they ask her if he needs anything. Mm. And essentially, you know, they, they make a request. They say, you know, it's on one Rosh Hashanah, he, he asked, um, he commanded Ghazi to go see the woman and ask if she needs anything. And her reply is like she she has no request to make of a human king, you know, and she doesn't want to be singled out before the heavenly court. She said, I would rather be judged together with the community so as not to vote the Midat Hadin, the attribute of strict justice. Wow. And so, you know, just goes goes to see her her frame of mind. You know, in in this area, and you know, it's intense. <laughs> it's really interesting. Really, idea of of just making sure you're you're plugged into a community. Um, also, this idea of you know, if you have like this idea when you when you're praying before a shim, like all all your actions, all your thoughts are before him in that moment. But when you pray within like a minion, within, within a group of, of 10 men, then it's like all of each other's merits actually go to strengthen and, and cover one another. And the whole Shekhinah, his presence, like rests among them. Uh, I was just sure I was even talking about how, how uh, angels are even afraid to enter a room where, where 10 Jews are entering praying with each other. And so just the whole whole merit that can be brought down by through a minion and you it's know, I think the, uh, in her words. What's, what's that? Oh, oh, I said it's be hinted in her words where I would be rather be, you know, judged in I don't want to be singled out. I'd rather be judged with the community. Wow. <laughs> Yom Kippur type right there. Yes. I was just going to say, uh, did you also see that the Tanya brings down that the light that emanates from a minion is so intense that if an angel were to fly over a minion, they would disintegrate. Oh, yeah. that is incredible. Wow. Man, now, I didn't know what to do with that. So I was just like, oh, I'm closing this book. What you do with that is you find a minion. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? 
Oh, look, we got like a three and one at Sarsha Home. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, the whole idea. Um, this, this, this whole concept is a lot of times our blessings, they're all ready for Hashem to give us. He just waiting for us to, to say our, our, our daily prayers and bring down those blessings into the physical realm. Yes. You know, and so may we be mindful of that and, you know, do what we can. Uh, definitely, definitely strive to, to, to be very strict with our, and observing about our prayer time. And, you know, if we have the availability for minion, we need to accept it. Like you said, you know, like that beam of light that will disintegrate angels. <laughs> Dude, Being you know, incredible. as cheesy as it is, I, I think of the Bifrost from the Marvel movies. <laughs> like this, uh, it's like, it's called the Rainbow Bridge. It's, uh-huh. I don't know. But I just, I can't help but think about that because we're transporting or making a opening and a connection from the audits to Hashemayim. Like, we're opening up that gate, you know, for bringing down what's above and bringing up what's below. And, you know, it's just, wow. Anyway. That's, that, that's a pretty good description of it, I would say. Definitely. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Now, and, you know, con- continuing on with this and this next section. Um, <laughs> we have that... Uh, We have this idea that the, the, the child, he ends up dying. He ends up, like, suffering this from, like, heat stroke. So the Zohar explains the fate of this child was thus preordained because Elisha had only promised him to the woman and not to her husband. He goes on to make, says that this is a mystical concept. And doesn't elaborate further from that, but I think that's, that's extremely interesting. And goes on to talk about how the, the child was exposed to the burning sun out in, out in the, the fields and he suffered heat stroke, cried out my head and, and said, but to her intense grief, like he can't went to the arms of, of the mother, um, you know, his heat stroke, his fever only became worse and it knew the child was dead. Wow. It's interesting that it says the Shunite woman remained silent. She never complained nor informed anyone of her son's death. And so this is very much like like Aharon and Parsha Shmini, when his sons die before him and and he's silent, you know. Did you really just go there? Wow. So this this half tour is making all it makes all sorts of connections and to dip these different parshas based on the way she handled this. Man. And so she goes to this is where her husband asks if anything's wrong. And she goes to Elisha, and uh, when, when he sends out Gehazi, he's like, she tells him, no, nope, nothing's wrong. It's fine. fine, essentially. You know, that's the, the Sparknotes version. But as soon as she reads Elisha, she grasps his feet in great distress. And it says Gehazi thought this was disrespectful, and he tried to push her away. However, Alicia stopped him, saying, leave her alone. She is suffering greatly, and Hashem has concealed the cause from me. Oh, 
Damn. Okay. Okay. Yes. And so I don't know the, the the picture that reached my my mind is, you know, you have this woman who's at the feet of Elisha, Eli Eli Yeshua. Yes. Right. Right. And you have someone push trying to push away because this is disrespectful. This is inappropriate. And he says, "No, let her be. Leave her alone." So my mind automatically goes to the this familiar story of the woman dumping perfume on Yeshua's feet. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not mistaken; it was a bottle a bottle of uh, myrrh. Oh, this, yes. Which uh, the incredible Tamid and and I were were discussing this this concept of myrrh and how it was first used. It was also used at like one of the gifts of the birth of Mashiach, the birth of Yeshua. They showed it, bring that. And so this whole idea of when she spreads out the myrrh, and then when you have um, you talking about Yochanan chapter 12, specifically mm-hmm. verse 3. The lady's name, Miriam, she poured uh, a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. So, yes. Yes. It is, it is myrrh, the, uh, it says a fragrant oil of nard. So, it is myrrh? Or... Is assumed that's myrrh. The uh, the nard is given to the uh, the description of literally the Greek is anointing oil ointment, and the word is miron. And if you keep developing that out, it goes to the word more or myrrh. And uh, which is the cognate of myrrh. So it basically it distills, which is funny because it's oil. It distills down to myrrh and being like this anointing, this smearing, this uh, fragrant oil, which is what's used for the term Mashiach. Wow. And why he would judge by smell. So, yes, to back you up on that, that is Strong's Greek. 3464, and it's breaking it down like a chiropractor. Awesome. Love it. The whole idea, you know, there's been other commentaries that she was preparing him for, for burial. Right. But if you look back, this myrrh was given to him when he was born. Mm. And so we were discussing this idea that she wasn't necessarily just preparing him for burial. What she was doing was putting his faith in the resurrection. and so you have to imagine the scene here like the parallel scenes that's going on in this moment when she falls down on his face you know at the point she is just like so distressed you know tears are flowing and her her tears are flowing down to his feet and we just got done with the story that had to do with oil yep wow (laughs) and so why would these why would these sections be next to in the, next to each other in the half Torah? This the whole idea of oil, the anointing oil in the feet that is putting faith in the resurrection. 
Because he said she skipped Gehazi and went straight to Elisha. Yeshua went down at his feet and was crying out for him to save her son. <laughs> for him to bring him back to life. Wow. And so... That's in know, the Torah portion, too. Yes. The Akeda. Yeah, because the who resurrects the dead that's where we get that Braca from wow <laughs> man Dude, this is rich this is like being next to a, a grapevine and the grape is just like here you want some of this you want some of this <laughs> <laughs> oh wow definitely so, <laughs> so I hope this parallel is absolutely clear. Man. And you know, it gets gets even more interesting. Alright. These parallels that come on. And we have this what happened on the way, like how he originally sent him out was he sent Gahazi uh with the staff. And this was supposed to be an act to kind of redeem Gehazi because he's not really very highly favored in the scriptures or in the, the oral writings. But, and he gave him this specific order that not to greet anyone on the way. Oh. To give him some merit? To give him some merit, and it was to test him to 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 essentially give him merit that he maybe do it purely for the sake of heaven. Wow, there's this interesting story. And you just said to test him. Yes, like Hashem testing Abraham. Exactly. So there's the whole other test, and this is trying to put him through this as an act of redemption. All right. And so on this is a commentary on 4.29.31 that Mamlon brings down. And it says that his heart, Gehazi's heart was not pure and he craved exactly the fame and honor that Elisha demanded that he relinquish. So he figured out a way to circumvent Elisha's instructions. As he walked, he waved the staff in the air for everyone to see. Instead of greeting him, people said, Hey, Gehazi, where are you going with that staff? Oh. <laughs> so terrible. Alicia, Alicia had not forbidden him to answer questions, only greetings. Oh. So he eagerly replied, eagerly replied, This is Alicia's staff. He gave it to me to do a miracle. I'm going to rob a dead child. And he wow. comments, uh, Manolo's go on to comment, says, Gehazi observes the letter of Elisha's instructions, but not the spirit. Oh, my God. He failed to demonstrate humility and earn the merit of performing a miracle. When he got there and put the staff on the boy, nothing happened. <laughs> and there's, there's other Gee, commentaries. I wonder why. <laughs> yes. There's other commentaries that he used it. You know, he wanted to test out, so he used it on a dead dog. And the dog, you know, when it woke up, it bit him. <laughs> And, you know, so either way, it didn't go good for him. But I found it interesting that, you know, it just talks about how he how he went out of his way 
to find a loophole so that he may be honored. When his his honoring was was meant to be brought up by diminishing himself. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's really how it goes. Like like honor is really brought about by diminishing yourself. Come on. And even even when a little take take a little side note, even when people slip into anger and depression and all these negative emotions what it really is happening is you're pouring too much into yourself you're you're thinking too much of yourself and the way you get rid of these negative emotions is by by reaching out to people by 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 bringing life to other people and ignoring your own existence and seeking life you you really just did that just no gloves just uh let us have it (laughs) The Musar, Musar, mm. ow, mm. <laughs> okay. I mean, I receive it. Luxem, but I'm right. I'm right there with you. It's a good, good thing to keep in the forefront of the mind. You know that we want to make sure we don't have a staff infection. Oh, staff and touche, sir, touche. But no, in all honesty, I mean, yes, I mean, Hashem, pr- please help us with that, because, dude, that's a that's a real war that we, you know, our rabbi, our very own Rebbe, he said that today on the on the Galiyah. You got a monkey over there? Oh, sorry, just spin the chair. Oh, okay. Our very own Revy today did say, you know, we have to war against these things. You know, like, if we have struggles with anger, like, don't just let your anger be like, oh, I'm just an angry person. Like, whatever. Yeah. Nothing I can do about it. He's like, no, war against that. So. And, and you know, like I said, it's it's not inherent. Right. Like I said, you know, it's not inherent to like your genetics or your your nature and even if it is you can like you said war against it you know the and that's proof because Elisha sent him out there to redeem himself so what he saw in Gehazi was the ability to overcome that but what happened was Gehazi failed to he didn't want to he made the choice not to wow he made the choice to to have it about his own existence and not about his life or the life of other people. Wow. Choice. But we have an exact parallel. And the, the, the woman, she says, she says, you gave me the child. Only you can revive him. Oh. I will not budge until you come yourself. And so I'm thinking, this, like she has this plea that, no, no, no. I don't want you to send a messenger before me. You must go before me. That's the only way I'm going. What does that sound like to you? Parasha Kitisa. 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 Like Moshe's plea with a shin says, only if you go before us. Do not send an angel before us. We want you or nothing. And this is what she's saying right here. And so you see her embodying embodying the, the, the attributes of of her her ancestors of Moshe and Aaron, uh, 
you know, this idea of keeping silent and, and, and just having this, this, this faith and not speaking out of her own pain and frustration, you know, like, like Gehazi did, you know, and then at the same time, just, just understanding who is the true savior. She goes to Eli Yeshua, who is the true savior? That's you are the true savior. Right. And here's the difference between Eli Yeshua's way of, of, of approaching um, like prayer and, you know, the egotistic way that Elisha, and that, that excuse me, uh, Gehazi. So it says, he, he gave in to a request, travel home, and he found the child's lifeless body on his bed. Elisha shut the door behind him and prayed, please Hashem, just as you performed a miracle of reviving the dead for my master, Eliyahu, so perform it for me. And it says he stretched out himself, warmed the child's body, and then placed his mouth on the child, and there's like a reviving taking place. But before we get into all that, there's an interesting thing that says when he went in to pray, he shut the door behind him. Oh, I'm, are you about to do this? Please do it. Yes. yes. So, if you're familiar with the words of Mashiach, yeah! Basora, <laughs> give a shout. No. <laughs> I am so excited you're doing this right now. You need to get some help, but I'm excited. Man, this is the help. <laughs> <laughs> Mattis Yahoo 6-6. Six, six. Yes, that's exactly where I just went to. Yes, Rukashim. <laughs> Mattis Yahoo 6-6. Six, six. Mashiach says, when you pray, pray like this. Like this. Oh, my says, God. Enter into your inner chamber. Right? That was the attic that was made personally for Eliyahu. And having shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so he did all this in secret. No one was around. He shut the door. And yet, how many of us know about the story of Elisha reviving this child? The whole world. Anyone who, who reads, you know, the book of, of, of Second Malachim, Second Kings, you know, I've heard or has heard the story now knows about him because he did what is secret. He's, he's openly rewarding him. That's crazy. <laughs> but almost on a, on a different aspect, what you have here is, is Yeshua isn't just, he's not just saying things. He's giving them specific examples that, that the Talmudim, the people know, they know the story of Elisha and they, they know how he's, he's contrasting, you know, the, some of the leadership at that time and how they would do things just to be seen by the people. Are you know, you it's just to do the, the healing of the young girl. No, but I'll, I'd, I'd love to hear your um, elaboration on that. Well, I don't know if you remember, but there's this story in the gospels where, um, Yeshua is like walking and there's a crowd of people and there's a lady with issue of blood. She touches his ZZ and all that happens. And then um, there's an official from uh, the synagogue uh, coming to this guy who says, you know, my daughter, your daughter died, you know, because earlier the guy sent uh, emissaries and said, hey, my daughter's sick. Could you please come to my house? You know, and she was like, yeah, I'll be right there. And then there's this crowd and stuff. So um, 
basically I'm in Luke chapter eight and uh I'm gonna pick up with do 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 fifty one. So Luke eight fifty one. It says when he came to the house he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Kepha, Yochanan, and Yaakov, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took the girl by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit uh, returned, and she got up immediately. So there's this uh, this other elucidation brought down, and uh, it is also in Matthew chapter 9, where it says that Yeshua put the crowd outside, and he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. Like this idea of going in and closing the door, like getting the public out of the way. You know, you can look at the fact that the girl's father and mother were obviously struggling with this because they didn't believe, so to speak, in the resurrection because they're like, she's dead. And he's like, no, she's not. And they're laughing. And he's just like, okay. But there's that element, just like Elisha, when he takes himself and makes physical contact with the child to do the resurrection. Yeshua has the same thing. And it's in a closed off space from public. So, I mean, Toda uh, Rabbah, uh, man, that, that's uh, beautiful. Beautiful parallel. And, you know, while, while we're on that, I'd like to, you know, pose, pose a question. Oh. It says, is Yeshua, he says right there, don't, don't weep. She isn't dead, but sleeping. But it mentions that, you know, she was dead. So is Yeshua alive? Uh-oh. And so, you know, what's that? I say you just stepping in it. Yeah. And so, so the answer is no. So if anyone ever comes to, to come at you and says, hey, you know, this guy that you're reading about, you know, he's a liar because he said this. And, you know, text also says this. And it comes back to what, what you mentioned earlier about that the people didn't believe in the resurrections. Oh, wow. Right? Like, you know, they, how were they seeing things? How, what was their perspective? What's our perspective as mortal man? And what is the perspective of the Mashiach? Because that's where the separating out of is he a liar comes to, to light. Yes. <laughs> And so we have to understand that when it mentions Mashiach, it, it mentions him, you know, in, in Rashid, like the spirit hovering in the waters is the spirit of Mashiach, right? It mentioned the light concealed under the throne as, as Mashiach. It mentions in Yochanan 1 that the, the word of God, like this Torah, the Torah became flesh and that through it, everything was made. And so... Yeshua is not looking at her as dead. He's, he's looking at it from the perspective of he is who made, like, through which everything was made. Oh, my goodness. So when he, he says that she is asleep, what he's doing, he's, he's, not, he's not making a false statement. He's changing the statement. Oh. He's changing the existence. 
it was him through which everything is made. And so he understands the dynamics of how everything works, how it talks about same way. It talks about how uh, even more so how Adam and Bezalel, they had this, this such a, a vast knowledge of the, the, the Hebrew alphabet and how they had reform it, form the letters to do incredible things. You know, Adam, how he named all the, the, the animals. And so you think about Yeshua being the one who, through which everything was formed, him being the word of God, what he was doing was rearranging oh. her very existence at that moment, changing from, from her to being dead to her to being asleep. Wow. So he was not a liar to answer the, the question. He's not a liar. He's the is a fire. Mm-hmm. He is the truth. <laughs> yes. Hey, but you do have... Hashem. <laughs> we have... Um, also, like, you, like, going back, the whole parallel between closed doors, because I also want to tackle uh, another common misconception, because you go back into Manasyahu 6.6. 6, um, before that, you go into 6.5, mm. and it talks about... Um, it mentions, don't be like these people. <laughs> it says, when you pray, you should not be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and stand in the corners of the streets. They may be seen by men. Most assuredly, I tell you, they receive their, their reward in full. But when you pray, enter your home, in their chamber, and shut the door. So even more, these two things definitely parallel Gehazi, who wanted to be seen, and then Elisha, who wanted, you know, who, who just wanted to serve Hashem. He just wanted to bring life into the world. And, you know, so before we kind of move on with that concept, just tackling like this other question or this misconception, if you will, is it wrong to pray in public? No. <laughs> no. The whole concept is not necessarily praying in public, you know, which a lot of people, they take it, they take it for what it says. Okay, well, he says to pray in private, says to pray in public, uh, not to pray in public. That's not what he says. What, what the Mashiach is getting at, it's the object is, who are you trying to be seen by? Oh. Who are you trying to be seen by? You know, are you trying to be seen by, by people and honored by them? Or are you trying to be seen by Hashem? Are you trying to be honored in his eyes or honored in the eyes of of others and so you know if on just a practical note you know if you are in a public place you know and you know you're going to miss like minka or you know the time for shahrid or anything like that you know you have your sador with you your, your prayer with you and you need to pray and there's people around don't feel condemned we should push forward we should be bold and in our in our prayer and be diligent about that and it doesn't matter if there's people watching because we live in a different generation we did live, live a different setting than than Eretz Israel in the second temple era you know so for us if we were to pull out our siddur and pray in public we're not going to be looked at as righteous people you know right. you know we're probably the the opposite <laughs> you know but the object for us is 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 not necessarily you know, praying in public, not praying in public. The, the focus is who are you trying to be seen by? 
Yeah, because if you're praying in public around here, around these parts, people are going to think you're weird. Mm-hmm. And people might might look at you and be like, oh, you know, there might be a few people who might look at you as self-righteous, but you're not trying to be seen by them. Because you know, maybe if you, if you don't pray that prayer, you might miss your time. And you know what? That's seen or selfishly not seen by shit. Wow. And so it's like, who are we trying to be seen by? And that should be like in our hearts, like we need to be desired to be seen by Shem and honor him. And that's what the Mashiach is getting at. It's not necessarily public prayer or, you know, exactly the technical details of how we need to pray every single time. He's bringing back the story of Elisha. He's bringing about the story of Khazi, and he's making a contrast. Wow. And, you know, he's, he's showing you, hey, if you pray like Elisha, guess what? you get to revive the kingdom of heaven on earth. Oh. That's what you get to do. If you're trying to be seen by Hashem and go to him directly in this humble spirit, say, hey, just like you did for my master, not that I'm worthy, but just like you did for him, recall the merits of Hashem, recall the good deeds and the salvations of Hashem, and then ask for your needs. And oh. this will bring forth the kingdom. It'll never be the same again when I think about Messiah teach us how to pray. Amen. Okay, so you just did a Hulk smash through Captain's shield and made yourself like giant man size and just like broke something. Like, oh my word. <laughs> Man, it's been, it's, it's been beautiful just like un unlocking these stories and, you know, just uh, really incredible. Um, like how much is in this half Torah? That's intense, man. That's, oh, man. I, I just, uh, I, I've been trying to think of a phrase, <laughs> like just what's going on, because it's like you're making more connections than a switchboard operator. Right now, and it's just like, whoo, a lot of connected calls going on. Like, Hashem bless you so much. That is absolutely phenomenal. I'm just, I'm happy right now. Hashem, man, that's awesome. This is the way, you know, it's the way we should be. We should, we should be joyful. So I, I admire, I admire your simcha and and Torah, and just like that's, you know, that should be like our our perspective what's going on inside we should be joyful we should be like you know not not weighed down by ourselves by this world but but find the joy in like everything we can Amen. and can i say something about how yeshua trumps alicia let, let me go ahead and give you this microphone. Here you go. Okay, yes, yes. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about all these parallels, but I think it's also like a healthy point to, to know what's the difference. Because at the end of the day, Alicia was not Mashiach. Oh. Shua was Mashiach. And so there's this interesting thing, and, and, as, and I'm not trying to demean Alicia in any way as a great sage and, right. you know, right. incredible, incredible prophet. But we have this this kind of comparison that, you know, he he accepted upon himself 
which is, is, you know, it's not against Taurus, nothing bad and stuff like that. But he accepted the favor of having a permanent quarters. Mm. Whereas Yeshua, oh. he says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Come on, man. <laughs> so Yeshua, in his great humility, forsook even this oh. for our sakes. Because if it really comes down to it, it was really, it was really Alicia's uh, humility from if you just kind of read the story, if you compare it to Gehazi, who was unable to revive the child because of his, his arrogance, his pride. And uh, Alicia, he came and closed the door and, you know, didn't want to make a big show. Says, hey, all the merits you did for Eliyahu, do this, do this for me. Let's bring the child back to life. It was this humility that brought him back to life. Like, how, how much more power is in the Mashiach's hand when he didn't even accept for himself this permanent quarters? We had no place to lay his head. Mm. Mm. Wow. I, I'm taking that microphone back. You need to be in timeout. All right. <laughs> All right. Wow. So, well, I guess we'll just uh, kind of finish yeah. up this whole area. Um, yeah. Where he healed a child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that that sadness of like, oh, I know this is like the end of our drosh now. Yeah. We gotta we gotta wrap it up. We do. Okay. Uh, mentions uh, as far as how I uh, laid out on the child um, says his actions were mystical according to Zohar. Mm. Uh, Put his mouth on the boys, he linked him with a new source of life so that he would now live. The prophet also impressed upon the child's mouth the Almighty's great name of 72 letters. And he goes, Really, what you're gonna go out with? Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, talk and get back kind of the woman, and it, it ends up talking about this child and who was the prophet Havachuk. And essentially came from what we read earlier because he was embraced by his mother and he was embraced by Eliyahu who revived him. And the boy, he was assisted on his spiritual growth by two embraces. His, his mothers of extraordinary Amuna in the Navi, in the prophet, in Eliyashua. Right? Right. And then he was... Uh, the influence, the other embrace that he was supported in the spiritual growth was that of Elisha, who guided the child during his life. And so this is the same Hamachuk who taught that the Sadakim shall live by his faith. Wow. Wow. So, you know, it kind of goes and talking about when it says like live by faith. It's not that. It's not that that's all you have to do is just believe and do this. Like it's the idea that uh, you have uh, Havachuk, who is the one who is revived by Elisha because of his mother's great, great faith in Eli Yeshua. Wow. And he summarized the law into one principle, and that's that the, the righteous live by faith. The faith of, hey, the oil is not going to stop flowing. The faith that, hey, even if I'm giving away all my money in case of Avadya, you know, like, like, I'm saving lives. That's really what matters. The faith of his wife who cried out to, to 
her, her, her husband, to Hashem, to Elisha, and was given help. This is the faith. This is the faith that, that we live by. And the entire Torah is encapsulated within that faith. Not a faith of disbelief, but the faith of we're going to act in, in, in great chesed to, our, to our, ourselves, our fellow men, uh, to our community. And, and in our observance to Hashem's Torah. Uh, if I could just ask one question real quick. Can we connect back from the beginning of the Haftarah portion all the way down to where we are now, to the end of the Haftarah portion? Is this the same woman, the Shunammite woman, is Ovidya's wife originally, he passes away, and uh, <clears throat> then she has a new husband later? Like when we get into like uh, the Shunammite woman starting in verse 10 with hospitality and everything. Like, are we looking at the same woman here? Because mm. the, the question is really like the motive behind all of it is I'm looking at the connection between Ovid Yah and Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk. Let's see. Because verse 1 in chapter 4 says, One woman from among the wives of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, has died. You know that your servant feared Hashem. Well, verse 8 kind of changes it up because it says one day he traveled to Shunem, Elisha did, and there was a prominent woman. Okay, there it is. You see that in verse 8? Let's see. There's a great woman, prominent woman. Yes. Okay, so it's kind of like if you if you're reading this, you can't really tell. Like, is it is it Ovid Yah's wife called the Shunammite woman, or is it you know this woman from Shunem? When there's some there's some ideas says um, some say she was the sister of Amashag, the Shunammite, who was King David's companion in his last years, mm. <clears throat> and the mother of the prophet. Edo. Mm. Others say she was Edo's wife. Uh, she was recognized as Elisha's greatness and implored him to be their guest. Some say she didn't take hold of him physically, but by her words. Wow. So, um, according to my laws, there's, there's another idea, though it would, it does seem to sort of like flow into that. Because, you know, last we ended the last half tour or the last section of this half tour, the first part, talked about how they gained great wealth. And then it talks about this woman being very prominent and, and wealthy. Wow. And so there, there's an allusion to it. Um, I think on the, the Bashat level, 
she was either the wife or the mother of the prophet Ido. Okay, so this would definitely go up a generation then because Edom being over Yaz, Abba. Right? Can you continue on? Did, did you say that uh, Edom was over Yaz, Abba? E. This is, I was talking about Prophet Edo. Edo. Mm-hmm. And Ovadia was from, he was from Edom. Right. Oh, I thought at one point, my bad, Slika, I thought you said at one point uh, who Ovadia's father was. Hmm. Let's go back. Let's see. Let's see if I missed that over here. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just it's interesting. I mean, it it doesn't have to be that you know I realize, but it's just such a seamless haftara that you just kind of from one uh, woman of valor to the next, you know, and they they really mirror each other in their in their imuna. And how they yes. interact with Elisha and everything. So I don't know. I just great woman. I mean, I think when it says like Edo, who's supposedly the uh, either the like the woman that's in the second partial was either his mother or his um, his wife. He was the father, grandfather of Zechariah. Um. But who was the grandfather Zechariah? Edo, the the one who on the Peshat level is considered like the either the wife, I'm sorry, either the the husband or the son of the the woman in the second story. Wow. Okay. Um, so, uh, verse fourteen, Gehazi is talking, and he's like, "What can be done for her? She actually has no child, and her husband is old." Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so she would not be the first woman as as far as that the Peshat level goes. But I do think I do think you, you like made there's a definite connection there on on the woman like as far as like the the wealth comes, the amuna and then here she is. So I think I think there's something with that. Like there's this link between these two women that goes to show you there's something that's interconnected within their stories. Oh my goodness. To be, they're meant to be tied together, which is why they're placed next to each other in the, the half Torah. I promise I won't say or ask anything else after this, but it literally just hit me like a freight train flying in the sky. This, these two women are actually this is a very sewed concept so i'm just i know it may sound msu and crazy (laughs) just fly with me for a second these two women literally embody sarah from this week's torah portion to where sarah is old she is barren she has no child when hashem 
visits, when Ellie Shaw, so to speak, visits, she experiences what's tantamount to a resurrection. Literally, if you read the Aliyah uh, and, and listen to the Aliyah, I should say, from Rabbi Griffin, get you some. Literally, he brings down the commentary that talks about when there's the visitation, that what transpires with Sarah is like a resurrection. And so you have these two women in the Haftarah. The first woman, she has children. She's she's good. She just needs some provision. Second woman, she doesn't have children. And it's like, uh, you're going to conceive in a while. You're going to have a son next year. By the way, in this season, next year, just like what was told to Sarah. So when you put these two women together, you see basically the life of Sarah right here between these two women of valor and how, you know, the commentaries make it even more ambiguous when you try to look at, you know, (laughs) are they the same women or like they're kind of related or they're like very comparison like, and it's like, okay, so if you can just take all that away and just look at Sarah overlay these concepts and these parallels, you get a picture of what it's like for the miraculous birth, the the resurrection, the rejuvenation, and, and all of that. So, anyway, for what that's worth, I just wanted to put that out there. Love, love the tie-in to our, the tour, Portia. Whole, like, Sarah parallels. Like, these three, these three uh, women who are all tied together from being like, like, Eshet Chayil. Yes. Valor. All right. Well, tell that Rabbi for looking that up with me and to the listeners, tell that for indulging us in that. I appreciate it. This is just a Lapid way of studying. This is how we do it. Man. All right. So uh, let's go with one practical takeaway this week since, uh, you know, we've kind of done a lot today. Uh, so just for the sake of time, and I would love to give you the honors uh, for that. All right. So do a, a little different. Um, there's there's this idea that uh, Hashem, he holds the three keys in, in his hands that he doesn't give over to Angel. But yet the three, the three are Parnassah childbirth and reviving the dead and he gave all those to Yeshua. and so wow. saying that for the practical note is that you know just be aware of of just always looking at at the parallels finding finding yeshua in these half torahs and understanding like the this appreciation of the revelation he gives you know and not even just the revelation, but the, the blessing that's, that's given by him. You know, Parnassah, like our, our, our financial, like everything that it takes to, to live in this world, to sustain our living, is granted only by Hashem, but it's given into Eli Yeshua, the hands of Eli Yeshua, that's right. Yeshua, who is God, or a manifestation of Hashem. And you also have the whole key to childbirth is in Hashem's hand. This whole idea of, of bringing forth life physically, spiritually, it's on his hand. 
and then resur- resurrection of the dead. Like at the end, like we're all going to pass in the grave, but it's him who has the keys to the resurrection. And so it's him who's who we should be focused on uh, who's watching us, not other people. We're trying to be seen of him and serve him because he's the one who sustains our life. He's the one who gives us power to bring forth life spiritually, physically. And he's the one who gives us the ability to lift ourselves or who to lifts us to life after death. And so let us keep him before us, before him. Let's keep him before us always. Amen. Well, what do we know? What do we know? First of all, Adonai, I bless you and I thank you for the opportunity to gather here with my Chavivi Chassis to look into your word and you have answered every prayer of our hearts. So thank you. And I also ask that you will bless Chassis as well, Adonai, that you will bless literally Natan ben Abraham, that you will bless him that he will continue to grow and be covered in the shadow of your wings, Adonai. And may him and his household experience increased Yeshua. And the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, amen. Just wanted to pray that over you, bro, because, I mean, wow, this is, I don't want this to end. (laughs) (laughs) No. But the closing Bracha. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Zur Kol HaOlamim, Zadik Bekol HaDorot, HaEl Hane Eman, HaOmer VeOse Hamdaber, Um Kayem, Shekol Devarav Emet Vazerek, Ne Eman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu, Vene Emanim, Devareka Vedavar, Echad, Midvareka Akor Lo Yashu Rekham, Ki El Melek Neeman Verakaman Atha, Baruch Atha Adonai, Hael Haneeman, Bekol Devarav, Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right, well, this is the end of our Haftarah for the Get You Some of Parsha Vaera. Many blessings to all of our listeners. And Hasis, many blessings to you as well. And Shavuot Tov and Shalom. Blessing, Shalom.